Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. I want to make sure that um, we take a little bit of time to, to remember history, because if we don't look back, then we're not going to be able to create a new way forward. Amen? Like, there, that's that idea of Sankofa, like... We have to learn from our past and carry it with us even as we are going forward. Um, and, and one of the, there's a couple of like really important things that, uh, that we're commemorating in our history. So first of all, it's the centennial, that means a hundred years, uh, uh, anniversary of the Tulsa massacre in Oklahoma. Um, and like shout out to folks who watched Watchmen, <laughs> like, um, uh, the Tulsa massacre has kind of recently reemerged in our public discourse, but for a really long time, it was completely hidden from, from history books. I know that I didn't learn about, I'd be curious in the chat if you learned about the Tulsa massacre when you were in school. I, I super don't remember that at all. Um, and, uh, and, and it's kind of like, uh, really, really significant because it was an important thing in our history. Um, so, uh, as a little bit of background, um, let me make sure I get my dates right. So on June 1st, 1921, um, oh yeah, thanks Mayada, Sankofa is uh, a symbol concept from Ghana, yes. Um, it's like a bird that's like looking backwards but holding an egg. And so it's like we look backwards while also carrying the, the hope of new life, right? Like, it's a really big, big idea. Uh, Teresa learned about Tulsa through Watchmen, right? Yeah, so it's like, um, I think it's really uh, significant that this happened. And and we, you know, this happened in the 1920s. And we still, like, read Great Gatsby. And, and, and uh, like, flapper dresses are still a thing. <laughs> like, you know, like, there are other things that we remember from the 1920s um, that, that haven't, carried over. And so, um, this, so this happened on June 1st, 1921 in the neighborhood of Greenwood in Tulsa. And, uh, uh, for, uh, the people who, um, the, uh, wrote about it, uh, the historians, like it was a, it was a prosperous black neighborhood. It was, uh, uh nicknamed the wall, uh, the Black Wall Street, like it was a place where a lot of black entrepreneurship, a lot of um, generational wealth was accumulating. Like it was like the place where um, a lot of brilliance was happening. And then um, uh, Dick Rowland, a black man, was accused of assaulting Sarah Page, kind of like um, uh, feeding back into this trope that like black men are intrinsically dangerous for white women, that, that um, black men should be feared for their sexual aggression, um, right? And so, uh, th so uh, Mr. Rowland was brought up to the courthouse and uh, there uh, a bunch of white supremacists gathered outside and, and then uh, it kind of like, uh, the spark turned into an explosion and it turned into a massacre. So, um, uh, 300 people died from at the hands of those white supremacists in Tulsa. 5,000 people were um, left homeless and, and 1,200 homes were burned to the ground in a day. Like this was like one day and there was no 
real like repair, reconciliation, reinvestment of community, any type of compensation for the people who uh, survived this. Um, and I just want to um, also like um, name a couple things, some really interesting historical parts of that. So first of all, um, later kind of like research and, and uh, listening to the stories realized that um, uh, Mr. Dick Rowland did not sexually assault Sarah Page. Um, and I want to say that um, it's important if, if he had, like, obviously that wouldn't be a proportionate uh, response. And like, I want to, as an intersectionalist, I want to name like sexual assault is never okay across any lines. However, uh, uh, it, it turned out that he, what most likely happened was that he tripped and stepped on her foot. He tripped and stepped on her foot and that resulted in 300 people dying. Like, okay, so this is like, when people are looking at the Old Testament and they're like, oh my gosh, there's so much like punishment in the Old Testament. What, what about this? Why is there so much legalism in the Old Testament? The reason why the Old Testament had that is because there were like, like 3000 years ago, there was like people who would like accidentally be stepped, have their foot stepped on, and then they would massacre an entire village. And the Old Testament was like, okay, maybe we should try to create a concept of proportionality. Like, uh, uh, like that's where that eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth came from. Right. And so this is like, like really trying to, um, um, the Old Testament thousands of years ago was like, God wants us to like, not be working on this, um, uh, in this way. And then, and then here again, we see it, um, and, and so like, that's really intense. And I am like seeing lots of things happening in, um, uh, the chat that I won't be able to catch up entirely on, but I just know that, um, there is a personal knowing and a personal experience in our community of what feels like this disproportionate response of violence. So there are two things that I want to name about the empire, the nature of the empire, uh, as we remember Tulsa. So first of all, um, uh, uh, the, I think it's worth remembering that in the Tulsa massacre, 23 churches were burned down. 23 churches were burned down in the Tulsa massacre. And I think that it's important for us to remember that because we're kind of in this moment where like, why, what I would consider like Christendom, like the empire that is appropriating Christian imagery, has the, the most public attention of what Christian witness looks like. Like there's kind of this like super supremacist, insurrectionist, uh, 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 Christian, uh, Christendom witness. I think it's important for us to remember historically that the church, uh, particularly in immigrant communities, black communities, has been the ground zero of revolutions. And the reason why white supremacists burned down 23 churches is not because they thought they uh, were totally inconsequential. <laughs> like white supremacists uh, throughout the 1800s and early 1900s, nope, white supremacists since the 1800s have targeted black churches and churches where uh, uh, multiracial churches, churches where lots of different types of people can meet, have 
because that is like the the seedbed for revolution. The church is like the place where you can glimpse a different type of reality. The church is the place where at its best we can see God imbuing and uh, imbuing a rightful dignity and belovedness to folks who have otherwise been completely dismissed. Um, this is like a really important uh, locus of organizing. And I think that that's, a, that's, that's really relevant for us even as we're interpreting our current history because like Christianity has been so appropriated that it's, it's almost like synonymous with white supremacy in, in a lot of these public discourses. But that is not the historic witness. Um, uh, and, and like, certainly there has been, like, um, uh, organizing, like, social community organizing that has happened in churches, undeniably. And I would venture to say, though, that there is something that happens in churches, uh, in the black church, in, in um, I'm thinking of Church of the Fellowship of All People, which is the first multiracial church that Howard Thurman planted, um, in California, like something happens in churches where when you call upon the sacred to offer witness and, and the sacred kind of like, uh, fills us with a certain type of like love and courage and abundant mindset. Like when we can kind of have like this, like sacred chiropractic to get right again, after having a really hard week, really destructive week, that something happens that is beyond just community organizing, like community organizing for sure, but something profound, something like oceans deep happens, something is, is settled that allows for people to go about the work of outward transformation. And, and so 23 churches were burned down in Tulsa, reminding folks that, uh, that those churches were the site of revolution. Um, we hear from one person, growing up, church has the most consistent community in my life. Uh, also, it was a space where I learned hard and soft skills, public speaking, youth leadership, so much. Absolutely. And th this is coming from like a performing artist, right? Like that's uh, huge, huge, huge. Like there is a way that we look out for each other in church that is empowered by grace that I think at its best is the stuff that changes worlds. I, of course, want to also acknowledge that churches can be the place where certain abuse happens and where certain, um, uh, uh, certainly as a member of the queer community, like where tons of damaging things can happen. But that's when I start to see the church leaning towards Christendom and away from the gospel. Christendom is the empire appropriating the gospel for its own purposes of domination. So do you see how like, like Christians and the church like can oscillate or, or paradoxically embody like both the liberating gospel and the harm of, of the empire and the churches added uh, the way that the church attends to scripture, attends to community and, and life together groups and prayer is in, in consistently trying to create an immune system for ourselves so that we can lean towards the gospel in a way from Christendom. Yeah. So uh, the black church became my standard for community. Absolutely. We learn to look out for each other. Um, and so, uh, so that's an important historic backdrop. We heard from in Congress, um, the three known, this is wild y'all, the three known remaining survivors of the Tulsa massacre testified in Congress. Miss Viola Ford Fletcher, 
is 107 years old. Okay? And she rolls on in and gives a testimony of like, this is important and we must uh, pursue justice in this. Like, this is like, we must create a, a reparation mindset around what happened here. Because white supremacy, the nature of white supremacy, the nature of empire, this is the second thing I wanted to bring up, is, is such that it's like um, criticizing the black community for being poor and, and like uh, the moniker of like the honest day's work, like, oh, if they would just put in an honest day's work, then, you know, whatever, laziness and being unproductive, like all these racist, racist tropes leverage against the black community. Like, on one side of the mouth comes these criticisms of, of black folks being poor. And then the other side of the mouth is, like, um, uh, black businesses are so dangerous that we have to burn down everything. And so it's like, well, you can't really have both of those, right? Like, like that's the nature of empire is it's a self-destructive system. Like, the way that we recognize empire is if ultimately it will destroy itself as well as everything else along with it. Right? Um, so, uh, uh, yes, 107, yep, Madame was giving everything. I just want you to know that there's a, there's a, a woman who's 107 years old, uh, in my building, and, like, if she, like, comes down, like, this is a real story, she's 107 years old, she's literally two floors ahead of, uh, above me right now, like, if she comes down and sits in a courtyard while her care assistant knits next to her, it's a good day, Okay. And so Miss Viola serving like congressional witness and like it, she received a standing ovation from uh, uh, Democrats and Republicans. Like, okay, that's the kind of 107 year old that I want to be, right? <laughs> like that's like, that's my goal is like, I, I hope that I, uh, I approach aging in such a way that like when I'm 107 years old, I can still be a revolutionary. Yes. Um, and, and yeah, I, and I see in the chat, even when black working adults did earn a decent wage, that just became more of a threat to the white property owners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, it's like, uh, uh, it's like, so our, it, it, I mean, same with the immigrant discourse, like, wait, so are immigrants stealing the jobs or are we not stealing? Like, how is it that we're both stealing the jobs and completely lazy and not stealing the jobs at the same time? <laughs> like, that's... It's like, that's the nature, that's the insidiousness of empire, where it's like, this is a self-defeating system. Um, so, so the two things that we learned about empire that I especially want to roll from Tulsa is, one, the, the church prov provided an existential threat to supremacist thinking. And two, that the nature of empire is that it is uh, in itself a self-destructive system, and it will destroy everything else along with it. Um... Of course, historically, speaking of uh, Sankofa and then looking back, uh, we are also looking at the one year since uh, uh, the uprising in Minneapolis, the George Floyd uprisings. And um, those uh, were very different from the Tulsa massacre in a couple key ways, but also there are some similar strains. And actually, I'd be curious in um, sacred witnessing to hear how you think those were similar or different. But I just want to name, um, uh, like, we, we've all seen either firsthand or through the pictures, like, kind of, like, the commemoration of the destruction 
of the empire. Uh, hopefully by now, if you've been at New City Church for a while, you've heard the stories of white supremacists targeting uh, Black-owned businesses, uh, Black communities of faith, um, postal offices, libraries, and all that stuff. But I also want to name that the George Floyd uprisings taught us collectively about what the kingdom of God is like. Um, I want it to be forever commemorated how the people of New City Church and really the people of many churches around uh, the community engaged in a type of spontaneous, hands-on, contextual ministry that it was like watching the Pentecost again. The Pentecost in the New Testament was like, in the big, after Jesus's life, the Holy Spirit fire came down and all of a sudden, like the church was everyone. <laughs> like it wasn't just owned by like the religious elites. It was like everyone. And I felt like this, I was like watching a Pentecost happen while the, the destruction of the empire was rolling out. And it was amazing to see how... Um, People of New City Church and of many communities, uh, faith-based and non, like didn't need to wait for a pastor to be like, hey, it's a good idea for us to look out for our community. Or, <laughs> you know, like we didn't need like, a, like a, a, a volunteer organizer to be like, okay, let's create a spreadsheet of when we're going to start looking out for each other. It was like... Like the Holy Spirit wind was like, I am showing up in opposition to the forces of destruction that we are facing. And I am going to inspire in the imaginations of neighbors, a type of relationship that they have never known before. I'm going to put in the hands of the everyday person, all of the riches of God to be able to create a community of abundance and justice. Uh, the community organizing shown during the uprisings was truly incredible, y'all. I don't, okay, so for the folks who aren't in Minneapolis, like the intricacy of the social media organizing just using like Discord <laughs> was like so sophisticated and would have taken like years of community organizing to create something that's sophisticated otherwise. And it happened like literally overnight, right? Like, like people were looking out for the elderly. People were looking out for children. People were like creating um, fire extinguisher distribution systems. Like it was amazing to see the type of Holy Spirit community response that was going on. And New City people were part of that. New City people had their, uh, uh, brought some hoses to go soak the yards of people who might be at threat of arson, baptizing the yards of the neighbor to say, if the empire is going to show up with their tiki torches, the gospel isn't going to hide away. We are going to soak in the goodness of God and let that extinguish the fires of the empire. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, still got your fire extinguisher. You know that. Like, that is like a sacred artifact now. Like, these are things where the Holy Spirit was moving in such a way that it's like, we should be building uh, altars all over the place, <laughs> right? Like, there's like a, there's like those, uh, those Ebenezer stacks of rocks. Like, we should be putting those all over the place, lest we forget that the Holy Spirit did not abandon us in the, in the scariest part of, of many of our lives. Like we, there is a certain way, you know, when we, when the arsons, uh, was, uh, coming south 
and people were encouraged to fill up their bathtubs to create a reservoir of water just in case they needed to respond to anything. The Holy Spirit was pouring into us, creating a reservoir of resilience to be able to show up, to be able to create community in ways that we didn't even know was possible. The Holy Spirit was like, there are roots that go deeper than anything that, that humanity can strike. And, and I felt that viscerally in, uh, during the uprising. Like it wasn't like, oh, wow, uh, I'm a preacher and I need to put together some nice poetic images. Like it was like on a cellular level, I'm, I am experiencing how God is like, I am here for my children and I'm going to push against the empire and I'm not, I'm, but I'm going to create opportunities for humanity to push with me because that is part of our trauma healing. Like that push against the empire is part of our trauma healing. And, and I saw that and experienced that in a way that like I've never truly understood before. Like the Bible all of a sudden came alive in that. Um, and I, and like that was, um, you know, like creating an infrastructure of, of response that persisted over the course of the year. Like the G George Floyd Square, for those of you who aren't in Minneapolis, like the city was trying to open up traffic through George Floyd Square, like basically like three minutes after the uprisings, right? Like it was like um, uh, the, uh, the George Floyd Square is remained sectioned off because of these networks of neighbors and residents and community organizers who were like, we need to, we can't allow business to go back to usual when this happened and we are not seeing any type of like uh, a larger response that would suggest that this won't happen again. So like this year of people holding space, holding fast, pressing with the Holy Spirit against the empire was amazing to see. And of course, um, I would be remiss to not mention the huge role that artists played in all of this. When the plywood boards went up across Lake Street and all of a sudden our city became a blank canvas, it was the artists who filled our city with messages of hope and, and murals of resilience murals of lament and grief, um, reminding us that, that we do belong to each other. And if that is the case, then the death of George Floyd is the matter of, for all of us. That, that, that is something that all of us have to take on. Um, uh, Siobhan says that organizing during the uprising is proof that the police are needed to keep communities safe. Y'all, like the, the citizen patrolling <laughs> that went around was amazing. Truly amazing to see. And those networks persisted. Like uh, the response to Dante Wright, from my vantage point, um, Dante Wright was the, the person who died or uh, who was murdered uh, in Brooklyn Center um, during the Chauvin trial. The response that I saw to that, from my perspective, felt much more sophisticated and immediate. Like the mutual aid networks that went up were wild. The solidarity, even just looking at a microcosm, like the solidarity fund, of New City Church was able to step in in a way that like really was was just so much more immediate. And I think that that is 
like the way that the Holy Spirit works is, is the Holy Spirit creates momentum. The Holy Spirit creates a movement. The Holy Spirit creates an, an upswell that, that gets us to places that we didn't believe were possible before. Um, so like, I really, I, I think that there, I mean, New City Church had a sermon series on the defunding of the police <laughs> over the summer. Like we had talked about that before, but like, the Holy Spirit was like, I want you to theologically interrogate this and really get in uh, because this matters. Like that is uh, what the Holy Spirit is doing. And I know that uh, sometimes like the random uh, person comes to New City Church and is like, but isn't this just saying like the Holy Spirit is synonymous with being a liberal? Like isn't isn't this just saying that that New City Church says that Jesus wanted all of us to like vote Democrat and, and become socialist or whatever? And it's like, um, uh, that's, you're, you're confusing our order of operations. Like we're saying that the Holy Spirit met us and inspired us. The same Holy Spirit who in, during, in Acts 2 during the Pentecost created a democratic system of power where all people sold all of their belongings and made sure that everyone had their needs met. The same Holy Spirit who inspired 2 Corinthians and said that Jesus died for all, like that's the Holy Spirit that we're abiding with. And there are ways that that kind of like manifests in our society and, and ways that that shows up in our outward justice that may or may not align with uh, other like secular um, uh, ideologies or practices. But but like we have to look at the headwaters of 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 our justice or the headwaters of our theory of change. And, and the Holy spirit is the head of that. If you're signing up to be Christian, like the, the Holy spirit is the foremost identity because like through this belovedness, we believe that a new world is possible and we do our best to experiment with lots of different things, but the power, the, the steadiness, the hope that is, that is possible is through the Holy spirit. And, um, and that's why, we insist on continuing to look forward, to believe that that by recognizing our history uh, is to be able to move forward. And um, and the opposite of war isn't peace; it's creation. And if we are to understand that fully, then it is our like spiritual calling to get to know the Creator. Right? <laughs> we want to create a type of peace that the world has never known. Imagine if people can talk about Minneapolis in a hundred years, not in the, imagine if people could talk about Minneapolis in a hundred years in a way that is completely different from how we're talking about Tulsa in these past hundred years. Imagine in a hundred years, everyone learning about what happened in George Floyd Square, not just the destruction, but the amazing community resilience in the Holy Spirit. Imagine if if people a hundred years from now look at Minneapolis and say that was the turning point for the greatest racial reparation project to that point, that was, that was the pivot moment when all of a sudden the people of, of, of Minnesota realize that we can create a better way. What if people talk about Minneapolis the same way we talk about the truth and reconciliation project in South Africa? Like what if this is the moment when all of a sudden the Twin Cities begins to rise with the buoyancy and the resurrection of the Holy Spirit? Like what if there is a way for us to, to create a different way? Like like what if we, um, what if New City Church becomes this seedbed of of ideas where Dana and Jonathan are writing lots of 
uh, revolutionary Holy Spirit kind of things that actually unfolds out into our city. Like what if there, if for all of our stumbles and all of our mistakes and all of our busy schedules and all of our troubles, we are actually able to press with the Holy Spirit to heal from the trauma of George Floyd such that people look back to this moment as the moment when a new course was charted, when, we, when, when the people of God started living into a new creation, when we realized that we have died to the old ways of supremacy and to the old ways of Christendom, and we are starting to come alive in a new way that allows for a type of racial healing that, that America has never known before. Why shouldn't that happen now? Like, what else are we waiting for? What other sign do we need for us to start our work on that? Now, like this is, the, this is our invitation. This is our chance. And I hate to break it to you for those who are new to social justice making, but it, it most of the time is through all the small stuff. We create this new creation through what? Sharing community petitions to the actions channel on Circle. Okay, <laughs> we create a community change by like making sandwiches for the people at the protest. Like egg salad is the beginning of the revolution, y'all. Like this is like vegan egg salad. <laughs> like it's the small moments in community through the Holy Spirit that we start to see this new world. But let me just say that after a hundred years of moving in the Holy Spirit, people will look back and see this as a completely transformed world, as see the, the momentum of new creation that we all have started. This is our calling today, and I believe we can start now. Let's go.